heart and open your mind and open your mind and put your hands together and receive Brother Dale Hara to preach to us tonight in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Can you stay standing? I, uh, I asked them to help me. I used to lead songs when I was younger, and something happened to my voice. It's all raspy now, but I love these old songs. Brother Buford, this morning's message, as you were, as you was ministering, I turned to my wife and I said, uh, he's preaching it already, I don't know what to do. But hopefully there's a little different take on it tonight. You know the song, It Is Jesus, Help Us Sing. Who is this who for our sorrows offers comfort and relief? Brings sunshine to the dark and shadow Let the peace pass understanding still the strife. It is Jesus our Redeemer, He is able to do us, and one weep no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison doors, He is able to deliver evermore. Oh, it is Jesus, Jesus, sad one weep no more. He will heal the broken. It open wide the prison doors. He is able to deliver evermore. Who is this who comes for healing? For the halt, the blind, the lame. Say softly to the sinner, follow me. Only come in faith, believing as of old the people came. And the lame shall walk, the blind again shall see. Oh, it is Jesus, our Redeemer, He is able to Jesus, sad of sorrow, weep no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison doors, He is able to deliver evermore. Who is this who loves a sinner, as a father loves his own, weeping over those who spurn his gentle plea? Always ready to forgive them and to make forgiveness known. Who is this forever calling you and me? Oh, it is Jesus, our Redeemer. He is able to Jesus. us. weep no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison doors. He is able to deliver evermore. Let's worship him. Let's praise the Lord and thank Him for His love tonight. We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you all. I love old songs. I love the good songs, the new songs, the old songs. They're all in worship to praise the Lord. Someday, I need Sister Cindy to take the song, Who's the King of Glory? And mash it with all in him and create one of those twisted songs that we sing, modern and old mixed together, because I think that would go over real well together. You may be seated. God is so good, and I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord. We were joking shortly before prayer. We weren't back there joking the whole time, but we were right before we prayed, we were talking about expectations sometimes we have when we come to church and you know we're looking for God to move and something different. Growing up in church, I uh, I never felt like I had much of a testimony. You know, you, you're raised on a pew, and you don't really get involved with some of the stuff that kids that are brought out of the world are part of. I was joking that maybe when I get up to preach tonight, I'll do it all in a Chinese accent just to keep your attention. Sometimes you just don't feel like we have a great testimony to share, but you know, there is a saving grace that God takes care of us all. Struggles and trials that we go through life affects us and changes us and makes us the people we are. Brother Andy, the other night after I testified on uh, Tuesday night, Brother Andy made a post late at night on my page saying that uh, the first couple years that he knew me, 
I caused him much anxiety that I am such a solemn man, quiet, that my eyes pierced into his very soul. I hope that I am not causing other people that kind of stress. When I came to this church, I was, uh, I was a bit wounded and uh, was lonely and bruised and hurting and uh, put up a shield, a barrier. We do that when we're hurt. I'm thankful that I know a God and I love a God. I know a God that loves me and he's taken care of me through all that stuff. And we're on the other side of that now and I'm thankful for that. Uh, if you know me well enough, I'm just a big kid. You don't have to be afraid of me. I might look mean. I might have a Chicago personality where I'm kind of whatever, you know. <laughs> but I love God and I love his people. We're going to talk tonight about Jesus. And I want to tell you a story. Well, first off, you know, I, I told my wife, I told Jonathan, I said, you know, I'm comfortable. I said, I, I'm comfortable when I go to preach. I, I, I mean, I've preached in front of thousands of people before. And uh, I don't get as nervous as I do when I'm here. And just the anxiety and butterflies before I get up here. I don't know why that is. And Jonathan said, Dad, just do what you do best. And so tonight we're going to preach something that I've ministered at a lot of churches doing before. And I wanted to bless your heart. We're not here to entertain. We just want God to have his way. Amen? Now we probably need to strap to the seats Sister Julie Way, Ray, Way uh, Cindy Sorrells needs to be strapped to her chair, and Brother Sorrells, and maybe Sister Sorrells. I don't know about Kalo. She, Carolo, she's kind of in there too. But I want to tell a story about growing up in Chicago, and hang on with that slide. But um, I lived uh, three and a half, four blocks away from Wrigley Field for about thirty years, and I am not an avid Cub fan. I don't want anybody to think that that. You know, I'm all gung-ho. When my team wins, they were neighbors to me, okay? So when this happened this year, that was a big deal to us. But growing up in that neighborhood, the Cubs were your neighbors. And a lot of things that happened in the community, the lights going up and how that affected our neighborhood and our parking and uh, the community's outcry when that was all happened because change is bad, I was there for all of that. And... As a boy, they would let us go into the park after about the fourth inning after school, and they'd let us sit in the upper grandstands and watch the games that went on. And, you know, it was just a neat experience being a kid. My sons grew up in that neighborhood for the first, uh, well, I think when we moved here, Jonathan might have been, I'm guessing, seven. I'm not sure. But they grew up in that neighborhood, and they heard all the stories of the Cub fans that were coming into the store we owned. I owned a business in Chicago about four blocks from Wrigley Field. And every day, people would visit that store after the game, and they'd be all excited about what happened. And on occasion, somebody would walk in carrying a baseball that they had caught from a foul ball or a home run. And my sons, especially my oldest boy, Michael, he thought... That's just something natural that happened at any game. And it didn't help too much that when a cousin visited from West Virginia, that when I was at a game with him when I was in my teenage age years, uh, I actually did catch a home run and gave it to him because I thought it would be a neat thing for him to have. It was the first time it ever happened to me and the only time it ever happened to me. And uh, so Michael, hearing this all of his life, he just thought every time he went to a ball game, you caught a foul ball or a home run. And so, owning that store, I made a lot of friends in the neighborhood. And one day, a customer of ours came in and says, I have four tickets to a game. Would you like them? And I said, sure, sure, that'd be great. So I took Michael, my dad, and my brother, and we went to a ball game. This was the first time I had... I've been to it one since I was a kid. So 
we were there, and Michael was decked out in a little Cubs uniform and a Cubs baseball hat and was all excited. I hope no one's getting sick because I keep saying the word Cubs. Are you okay still? Cindy, you're not green in the face or anything yet. Okay. And so uh, so he, uh, he was just excited about it. So we're walking. We, we live close enough. We walk, could walk to the park, and we walked over and walked in, and he's so excited. Daddy, I'm going to get a home run ball. I want to, I want to get a ball. And I'm thinking, the odds in this happening, I don't know what to do, but we'll see what happens. And when we got to the park and started walking in, we found ourselves in the upper grandstand behind home plate. I don't know about you if you know what Wrigley Field looks like, but most of the seats behind home plate have a big net in front of them that crosses almost clear uh, you know, a big part of the middle of the section of the seats. And I got there and I thought, there is no way a ball's coming over here. The net's going to stop it. And so, but Michael didn't, it didn't realize that he just, a, you know, a little kid, he didn't understand that that ball was not going to get there. And he just kept asking constantly, Daddy, when am I going to get the ball? When are they going to hit one to me, Daddy. And I noticed that every time a foul ball was hit, it didn't matter where it went to, the people stood up to watch where it had gone to. Even in these upper grandstands behind the net, people were standing up. And I construed this idea. I said, Dad, would you watch Michael while I go downstairs for a minute? And I went down to the gift shop and I bought a baseball, and I carried it back up in my jacket. It was about the fifth inning, and I waited for a foul ball. Brother Perryman? <laughs> Sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning. No one hit anything. And I'm thinking, this game is already over, and how am I going to fake getting this ball, okay? But right the ninth inning... Someone hit a foul ball. The crowd stood up, good pile, you know, good group of them. I jumped up on my seat, took the ball out of my hand, and said, I got it! <laughs> Reached down, there's about 400 people behind me started cheering me because they saw what I did. <laughs> I handed that to my son, Michael. And I said, here's your, here's your ball. Now everybody said, what a liar, what a deceiver. But sometimes when you're a dad, you just got to do what you got to do, okay? And so I gave this ball to my son, and I bought him that little container to hold it on. And that sat in his bedroom from the time he was seven years old till he was 21 years old. And as he got older, he began to make some questions about it. Dad, why isn't there a, a bump where it got hit? Because there's usually a mark made by the bat, okay? Dad, why didn't we get it autographed? Dad, who hit the ball? I didn't even know. I didn't have any of that information. I didn't know who hit it. And that questions went on for years and years. And I'd say, well, man, we, just, it was, we were busy, didn't have time to get done. You know, I just made up something. And he kept asking, and he kept asking. And I thought through the years, someday I'm going to tell him. Maybe when he's a dad, he'll understand. But on his 21st birthday, he was in church with us, and I preached this message. And as I preached the message, I started telling the story about the little boy and his dad going to the ball game and wanting a ball. And I picked up the ball during the service, and I wrote on it. And I autographed it for him. Go ahead. And I tossed it to Michael. And I said, see how much I love you. When we love someone, we try our best to make them happy. We try our best to make sure that they're taken care of. And tonight I want to apply this to our Lord and Savior and how he works with us. How he takes care of us. This cross tonight has sin nailed all to it. 
There's a scripture in Colossians. You put it up, gentlemen. The King James says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The English Standard Version says it like this. And you who were dead, this is the verse before, you that were dead in your trespasses and, uncons- and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. With him having given us all our trespasses by canceling out the record. Excuse me, I have my trouble vision here right now. We have the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside nailing it to the cross. Scripture really indicates that even though Jesus was crucified by men, he willingly took that sin and nailed it to the cross himself. I want us to ask you to stand one more time as we go to prayer, and I want you to ask God to have his way tonight. I want his anointing on all we do, and I want your hearts and minds to be open. Lord, we love you. You are an awesome God to us. You love us beyond our circumstances. You love us beyond our needs, our, our, our wants and our failures, God. You love us beyond all of that. Tonight, I want you to have your way. I want you to talk to our hearts. Help us, Lord God, be prepared to know, to walk with you in the way that you would have us walk. I want to give you praise, and I want to thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In the moment, Brother Perryman, I started to break out with a Chinese accent. I went to a restaurant. Jonathan one time asked me, he said, Dad, would you stop? This was the night I actually uh, talked to Julie for the first time through text messages. He said, Dad, could you stop at the Chinese restaurant and pick up some food in Hazelwood by headquarters? And I said, sure. And uh, he says, but you go and make sure that they give us extra soy sauce and extra... uh, uh, Sweet and sour sauce. So I go in, and the lady has it all packaged up, big bag of food, big bag of food. And I said, hey, can we have some extra soy sauce and some hot and uh, sweet and sour sauce, okay? And she goes, I gave you plenty. I said, no, my my son really wants me to bring home more. No, I gave you plenty. You got plenty. I said, no, no, they really want me. You too fat. You got too much already. You don't need no more. You don't need no more. That really happened. So, I love you that much. I did that for him. Is Jonathan ready? Go ahead and start that. What kind of man is this man, Jesus? People love to be near him. Everywhere he went, he changed the lives of those he came in contact with. What kind of man can walk on water, heal sick, and outright stand against the devil? What kind of man is this? Jesus approached ordinary men and recognized extraordinary abilities. Peter, James, and John were out fishing one day. They struggled so long and came home empty-handed. Jesus saw them and came to him, and he said to him, Why don't you go out again? Go, go out into the deep. But this time, 
fish as though you're fishing in a drought. Don't let your nets go down too low. And they followed the command of the Lord and went. They pulled such a great amount of fish out of the water that it almost, they could, the nets couldn't contain it and the, the boats couldn't hold the amount of fish. But Jesus knew these men were meant to be more than just fishermen. And he turned to them and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. From this day forward, you're going to catch men. A man had a son that would go into these seizures and he would foam at the mouth. The man told Jesus, this is my only son. Can you please help me? Jesus touched that child. The spoken word, he cast out that sickness. His word alone drove it out. Can you imagine that child being brought to good health and the first thing he sees and lays eyes on is the creator of the universe. You see how much he loved you? His stories captivated those that are around him. He spoke in a manner that people could relate to. His sermons tied elements of everyday life to things that the common man would understand and and, and, and they knew what he was saying. Stories that caused them to laugh. He said, a man that's blind that leads another blind man, they're going to fall in a ditch. Folks, that's funny. But it's truth. He told stories about a man that didn't think about building his house upon sand. And then the one that built it upon the rock, the storm came, and the one that was on the sand got wiped away, but the one on the rock stood. He talked about good grain and bad grain and how they would grow and the others would not. These were farmers. These were people that lived off the land. They understood what he was meaning. He talked to them in ways that they would understand about their children. He said there was a man that had two sons, and one of them said to him, Dad, I want to take my inheritance and leave. People in that crowd recognized what he was talking about. And then he relayed to him how the father stood afar off and saw him coming and ran to him. People loved him, but his story showed how much he loves you. Children would follow him. Children wanted to be around him. The disciples often would say, hey, Lord, send them away. They're, they're, they're disturbing you. And, and, and Jesus would say, let them come to me. Children, would you come to the Lord? Follow him up here. Come on. Don't be a shy. Come on, Eddie. He would tell stories and children would laugh and they were understandings of what was being told to them because he could communicate to everyone. Think about that. Wouldn't you love to be one of those children sitting at the feet of Jesus hearing a story? Or how about one that he would just sit on his lap and begin to tell him, I long for that day when we're on the other side that we can sit next to him and just hear what he has to say. 
We'll all be his children then, brother. As he was sitting one day, he was riding in the sand. The Bible doesn't say what he was riding. People speculate. He could have been drawing a smiling face for the kids. We don't know. But some Pharisees and Sadducees were going to try to trick him with some questions about the law. And they brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. And as they talked to him and taunted him, trying to get an answer out of him, Jesus didn't even act like he was paying attention to him. And he just continued to write. And it says, what does the law say? Jesus' simple words kind of put them all at a, a stop for what they were doing. Clinching stones and, and sticks, getting ready to throw them at this woman. He said, if any of you are without sin, you can throw it first. Can you imagine the sound of people dropping rocks as they walked away? And when the, the crowd cleared away, Jesus stood, sat there, and stood in front of him was the woman. And he asked one question. He said, where's your accusers? He said, I have none. And neither do I accuse you. And Jesus said something to her that is important to everybody that's ever followed him. He said, go, sin no more. He loves you that much. And that's a simple request he makes of all of us. As he was traveling, there was such a commotion beginning to mount about all that he was doing and saying and a blind man heard it and cried out, what's going on? They told him that Jesus was near. And he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible says that Jesus reached down into the dirt, mixed it with a little saliva, and rubbed it into that man's eyes. Brother Jerry, what do you think it would be like for the very first thing you see is Jesus standing in front of you? The very first glimpse that your eyes ever behold is Jesus. There will be a day when we leave this earth and step into the new and we open our eyes for the very first time on the other side of glory and we look upon his face for the very first time and we're going to know what he felt like. See how much he loves you? It was a time as he was traveling that the brought him to a house as he was there he was teaching people gathered around there was such a crowd and they were just pushing the throng was so thick around him that people that really needed to get to him couldn't get to him he was he was unable to press through the throng and these guys that had this faith that, that they're going to take their friend to him get there and they're like what are we going to do there's there's too much going on here I don't know which one of them. The Bible doesn't give their names, but someone gets the idea. Why don't we climb up on the roof here and let's lower him down. Now, we read that story and we think about that being such a simple thing, but here's the master of the universe standing in a, sitting in a room talking to people and sawdust and debris begins to fall on his head and and he begins to see something, the commotion going on, and, and light finally pierces through the hole that's been put into the ceiling. And it's big enough that they can lower him down, and as he's 
He's coming down. He recognizes such great faith in these men. And he heals that man that day. He heals him in a way that he gets up and he takes that bed and he runs with it. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. They stood back and he said, what can a man do? How, how, how can he do this? Jesus did us something there that day for a reason because they were questioning it because right before he healed his body he said your sins are forgiven oh my goodness the uproar how can you say that only God can forgive sins isn't it easier to say your sins are forgiven than be made whole and walk and when the man got up and walked, it showed that Jesus had the authority to say that to him. Jesus could forgive our sins. The lady that day that was to be stoned, the man that was lowered down, all of them, they're no different than you and I. We all, even if in the length of time that we've lived and walked for the Lord, we've all made mistakes. We've all encountered things. We've, we've failed in some way. But there's something about the way that he loves us. His hands are always welcoming. His hands are always outstretched, saying, come. A lot of people think that when he entered Jerusalem, the people that were crying out, Hosanna, were the same people chanting, crucify him. I, I don't believe that. I've never believed that. I believe that the temple had so many employees that they could have a big crowd just with temple folks around to, to cheer and, and to, to, to you know, make those comments to him. And as, as he entered Jerusalem and they worshiped and praised and sang Hosanna to him, the miracles didn't stop. He continued to touch and heal people. What kind of man is that? Tonight I've asked a lot of that questions to you. What kind of man is that? Who can do those things? We know now who he was. But how real is he to you? In the world that we live in, we can push a button and we can see stories. We no longer have to read. We can stick a disc in a computer and watch it. Kids can turn on video games and Death can happen constantly and rejuvenate. There's not an understanding of the, the severity of the story we tell. But Jesus Christ was real. And he loves us. And this same Jesus that told Peter, when Peter walked, saw, them on the, saw, them, saw Jesus walking on the water, the boat being tossed to and fro, they were all scared. But here he come walking on the water. Peter cries out, Lord, if that's you, bid me. And Jesus' words were simply this. Come. Somebody recently preached here and said, he didn't say come, Peter. He could have meant for all 12 of them to get out of the boat and walk, but Peter was the only one that did. That same call comes out to every last one of us today in this room. He bids us to come. Now, the events change, and circumstances become different. We find Jesus arrested. We find him tried. And we find Jesus now standing in front of accusers saying that he has committed some felony, some breaking of the law for claiming to be who he is. And the Bible tells us that there is a man who is in prison, 
This man's name is Barabbas. So many of us probably know that story. I mentioned being living in Chicago, living in near Wrigley Field. When I was a boy, I could crawl out my bedroom window and, and sit on the balcony of our, our, our porch, and I could hear the ball game from my, from my window. Now, I couldn't hear what was going on. I just heard the echo and the response of the, of the crowd cheering. You know, I could hear from my room, I could hear, we want a hit. We want a hit. And if I heard that, I knew the Cardinals weren't playing because that meant the Cubs were up to base, up to bat, right? Because they wouldn't be crying that out there. If I heard them booing, I knew another opposing team was up to bat. If I heard a sigh, he must have struck somebody out or they caught a foul ball or something of that nature. I was far enough, close enough to that that I could hear response, but I didn't know exactly what was going on in the room. And the story of this man Barabbas, now I, I, I want to go into this for one reason, because I know how much he loves you and me. I recognize that. I don't want to do anything in my life that shows any kind of disfavor to the Lord. I am thankful for everything he's done for me. I am thankful for what he has done in my life, saving me, keeping me, and, and I'm trusting to God that I never fail him. I mentioned it that, that night of our testimony service that when I met the general, not the general board, the district board in regard to my uh, license being able to be continued after all that had happened, that I stood before them and I, 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 I said these words, I, I, know the, I know the statistics, I know what happens to men in this situation. I, I don't want to be a, a number, I don't want to be a statistic, I don't want to be a failure. I want this story to be a story of victory. And today I'm going to tell you something. When we get our hearts and minds concentrated on the Lord, he can take us through any situation. He can take us through any problem, and we will go through it and be as pure as gold when we come through that fire. We have to trust in him. And I don't want to ever do anything. I don't want to ever disrespect his goodness to me, what he did for me. And when I read about this man, Barabbas, I see somebody that he's mentioned briefly. And the I, I, only reason I think he's mentioned the way that he is is because there is a, a word play going on in Scripture there. Pilate says, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this, he says, what do you want me to do? And they said, release to us Barabbas. Everybody know that story? When this is going on, I have to imagine Barabbas wasn't nearby. I don't think he was close enough to hear Pilate answering the questions. I think he could only hear the response from the crowd. They didn't have, they didn't have microphone systems back then. They didn't have PA systems working the, you know, into the prisons or anything like that. I think Pilate might have just heard the crowd roar. He didn't hear what Pilate was saying to him. And so when Pilate asked that question, who would you have me release to you? All, they, all Barabbas heard in that room that day was his name called, by, called out by an angry crowd. Barabbas! Barabbas didn't hear what he asked the crowd next. He asked them, what would you have me do with Jesus? Then the crowd cried out, crucify him. So Barabbas only heard, Barabbas, crucify him. And the next thing he heard was, crucify him and let his blood be upon us. Every last one of us, according to Scripture, are guilty of death because the wages of sin are death. Barabbas, Scripture calls him a murderer, calls him, calls him a man of insurrection, calls him a thief. It calls him a lot of things. You get the impression he was a pretty bad guy. 
But Barabbas didn't understand the weight of what happened that day. Someone else took his place on a cross. He was scheduled to die Friday morning. But Jesus took his place. I don't ever want to have a, a relationship with God where this doesn't mean anything to me anymore. When I mentioned a minute ago we're so desensitized by the stuff around us. Fifteen years ago when I would preach this, and I'm not trying to condemn, there usually wasn't a dry eye. But we've gotten so calloused because the life of Jesus is a story now. We're not moved by it as we were before. The cross is a symbol to us, but we don't understand the pain and suffering that, arisen, that, our, that our Lord did for us. When you study the word, you find out that this, this man was God robed in the flesh, but God purposely made Jesus every bit man. He made himself every bit man so that he could know what it was to live like us. He hungered, he thirsted, he felt pain, he felt the pangs of betrayal, he felt every stripe that was laid upon him. Brother Mike. What, what seems like a strange twist of events. A few short days after entering the city of Jerusalem where people are cheering him, Jesus has been sentenced to death. This is just not an odd twist of events. This was something that was ordained from the time of man's fall. Jesus came with a mission to save us. Beaten and whipped by the Romans, Jesus is led towards Calvary, the place of the skull. Beaten to a point that he was so weak that he couldn't even carry the cross. A bystander was told to carry it for him. See how much I love you. As he made his ways through the streets, I don't doubt that people he had touched were in that crowd. People wondering, what can I do for him? Parents holding back their children, knowing that if they stepped out of line, that maybe those soldiers would beat them or hit them also. Perhaps a crippled man who was now healed stood there, wanting to stretch out his hand and help, but the tyranny of those soldiers was so much. I can't do it. the blind man who was healed. Many of them wondering, how did this happen? How can this be so? But he kept up making his way. Scripture gives no indication that he tried to get away that he fought to be freed in any way. He gave himself willingly. He could have walked away if he chose, but he didn't. 
two pieces of rough lumber put together, scratching against his sacred back. Those precious hands that had touched so many lives, beaten and whipped, his face non-recognizable. One nail at a time, driven hung between heaven and earth the very expression of what he said that day you see how much I love you oh God In agony, his only concern was for his mother. Ask her to be taken care of. But three simple words changed everything for mankind. With his final breath, he pulled himself up from the cross and he shouted out, It is finished. And the sins of mankind were removed and wiped away forevermore. And Jesus says to us today, to this very day, in those words, it is finished. See how much I love you. Can we all stand? Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who is his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes we are healed. See how much I love you. You love him tonight. Can you raise your hands and worship to him right now? <clears throat> I've never been blind. I've never been crippled. I, I have a similar story as uh, Brother Lowe told about being a teenager and needing crutches to walk and God healing me. But I could get around. I didn't have any kind of the major stories that's in the scripture in my life, but I know my God loved me. And everyone in here in some way, in some fashion, has had something in your life that God has done for you special. He's healed your body at some point. You've been sick, and you've called upon his name, and he's healed you. You've been in a dangerous situation, and you, in just that moment of insecurity and fear, you called on the name of Jesus and he saved you. See how much he loves you. He saved your jobs. He's given you new jobs. He saved your house, 
by your, getting your mortgage paid. How many has been in that situation? A lot of people. I had a period of time where I wasn't making any money. I found food on my doorstep. There was a brother or a sister in the church that was being used by the Lord, but that showed me how much he loved me. You have loved ones that, are, that have come to the Lord through your testimony. They've been saved. It's something to be thankful for. There are so many reasons to recognize the love of God in your life. And there's something that calls out from when he says, how much I love you. There should be immediate response from all of us back to him. And the Bible says it. We love him because he first loved us. And our hearts should cry out, you've done so much for me. What can I do for you? You've done so much for me. What can I do for you, Lord Jesus? I don't believe for a moment that the people that were in that room and are in Jerusalem and they were crying out, Hosea was the people crying out, crucify him. I really believe that they were in the crowd wanting to help, but fear overshadowed them and they couldn't do anything out of fear what those soldiers might do to them. And so many of us, when we get into a situation, we are afraid. It's not a soldier standing over us, but it's something that holds us back from doing the things that God wants us to do. We have to step out. See how much I love you, he calls to you today. My response wants to be, See how much I love you. Is that our hearts cry? See how much I love you. It's not a contest between each other. It's a heart cry. I am yours. I am yours, Lord. I invite you to find a place to pray right now and talk to the Lord. I've delivered my heart to you tonight. I pray it's touched you in some way. I want the anointing of the Holy Ghost to be upon you. This church has been experiencing revival. The gifts of the Spirit have been manifest here so much over the last year. God is preparing our hearts and minds for him to do great things in this church. We need to step out in faith. We need to be bold with what we're doing for the kingdom Talk to him right now. Let him know how much he love, you love him. Recognize how much he loves you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.